0: Last week, we looked at John chapter 12. This week, we're looking at John chapter 13. So I'm going to read a bit of scripture for you today, so you'll get your Bible reading in for the day. Here we go. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. This is the last night of Jesus' earthly life, okay? Night of his arrest, night before his crucifixion. took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. If that is a surprise to you, it was a very culturally relevant thing to do. They would wear sandals. Obviously, their feet would get really, really dirty walking around the dusty Middle Eastern streets. And when they would go into a house, they would wash their feet. And often the lowest person of the household would be given that task to the slave or, um, yeah, the slave, basically, if you were rich enough to have a slave. So this is common practice. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Simon Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. Jesus replied, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Very truly, I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This text goes on, and in this scenario, they are having dinner, they are having the last supper. Jesus calls Judas out as a betrayer and basically says to him, go and do what you must do. But the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because he was the money changer or the banker of you know the ministry of Jesus Um, they thought he had to go and you know sort out some of the finances Um, and so he he takes off and now listen to this we're gonna jump back into it just a few verses it says here when Judas had gone Jesus said now The son of man is glorified it's almost like there's a weight off his chest isn't there and now god is glorified in him if god is glorified in him god will also glory the son in himself and will glory him at once sorry there's a lot of glories in there isn't there you need to stop and think about that a little bit but we're not focusing on that tonight friends i will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as i told the jews so now i tell you Where I'm going, you can't come. And now this is where I want to get to. A new command I give you. Not an old one. A new. A new promise, a new covenant, a new testament, a new way, a new era. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will recognize that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here today, and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, lead us in what you would have for us today. Bring transformation in our lives by your power. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'm going to put up some brands or some logos for you today, and I'm going to see how good your brand knowledge is to see how well you can identify these different logos. If you are writing notes um, today then you can do so on your phone or whatever. Um, you could entitle this message something like His Pattern. We are going with all the Ps with this series. So last week we looked at His predictions, you know, the predictions of Jesus, but this week we're looking at a pattern. And in the context of, of Jesus has given us a pattern to follow, to imitate. He has set in motion something um, that we're going to look at tonight. So, how's your brand knowledge? Now, We recognize these brands, don't we, or these logos, because they represent products, don't they? And whenever we see that laptop with the little Apple on it, we're like, it's Apple, right? Whenever we see the shoes with the tick on it, we know it's Nike. Whenever we see that car badge and we think, oh, that's a Skoda, that's an Audi, that's a BMW, we are familiar with brands, aren't we? Brands are a big deal to us. Brands are everywhere. In fact, now you can even be your own brand. Brands are a really big deal and logos represent brands or different products and Jesus actually at the outset He was a really good brand manager I think because at the outset of uh, what the end of his ministry but at the outset of the disciples ministry he Initiated a logo for the Christian faith Honestly he did he said that people will recognize you by something. Now, over the years, there's been lots of things that people have been, uh, or I should, should I say, Christians have identified themselves with, right? Um, first of all, we should talk about the fish, right? The fishes of men, are we all familiar with that? Have, have you got, oh, there we go, fishes of, is that good grammar, fishes, fish, fishes? Fish. fish, we say in Fish and chups. <laughs> haven't said that in a while. Uh, take the edge off now that I'm in London. Uh, anyway, fish, there we go. Um, disciples used to draw it in the in the ground. They used to paint it on the sides of their houses to identify themselves as, yeah, we're, we're, we're with him, we're Christians, fishes of men. Another one, more recent times, is the bumper sticker. It's classic, isn't it? Especially in the South of America, do you follow Jesus this close? That is a genuinely good bumper sticker though, that is, everyone needs one of those. Um, and, and finally, I think the cross has become a big deal, hasn't it? I mean, gangsters, I mean, there's all types of people who wear the cross and get it tattooed all over them to represent, identifying with Jesus in some way. Of course, there's the WWJD bracelet. You know, we get that out while we're having a little meeting or something. And, Give a little wave to people and signal, oh, I'm a a Christian, you know, kind of thing. we got all these ways of identifying ourselves as Christians, don't we? However, Jesus didn't say that we should be identified by any of these things. There was one defining characteristic that Jesus said, all men will recognize this and know that you belong to me. The defining characteristic for the Christian faith is our love for one another. You could say that love is the logo of the Christian faith. Not the cross, not the fishies, not the bumper stickers, not even that cool SPS logo, but love be the logo of the Christian faith. Jesus said, when people see the way in which you love one another, they will recognize you as belonging to me. That logo, when they see that demonstrated, they'll be like, oh, it's them. Love is the greatest advertising campaign for the Christian faith, isn't it? We don't need no agencies. We just got to love one another, right? (laughs) In recent times, it's probably safe to say that the church is not necessarily known for its love, is it? It's probably known more for its division, more for its disagreements, and more for its I guess judgment of others tertullian was a an early church um, father he was a a brilliant theologian a church leader Um, he lived in about uh, 150 a.d so a generation after the apostles and uh, he was a historian commentator of his times and when the romans and the greeks saw how the christians interacted with one another and how they did life they remarked, behold, how they love one another. It was demonstrably visible. It was, it was there. The logo of the Christian faith was in action in the early church, and people noticed it. And Tertullian, he records this in his writings. However, as I said in recent times, the church is probably not so much known for our love for one another, and there's been misunderstandings and perceptions created and all of that and that has led us to disunity rather than unity but god he wants the church and his people to be in unity together doesn't he famous uh, again a famous uh, theologian called saint jerome who translated the corpus of the new testament which was written in greek he translated it to latin and he wrote a commentary, sort of, you know, when you, when you look at a scripture and then you write, I think this is what it's trying to say, you know, a commentary. And in his commentary of Galatians chapter 6 verses 10, he gives this amazing story. And in this, the story had been handed down through the generations. I think he was, he was about 5th or 6th century. And um, he tells a story of John, the apostle, as an old man who they say was in Ephesus when he was a very, very old man about to die, they say he's buried in Ephesus. St. Um, um, Jerome tells a story that the young men at the end of the church meeting used to carry him in and put him in front of all the people because he couldn't walk, he was too frail. And um, he would just offer them this last word of encouragement before everyone would go out into their day-to-day lives. And he would say, love one another. Young men would pick him up, take him out. Same thing would happen next week. Same thing again. And again, and again, and again, and again. And the young men, they grew really tiresome of his repetitive, you know, encouragement they were like don't you have anything else to say to us isn't there something like better something deeper something you know you know you were with jesus and you you really knew him tell us something more and he said this this is his little punchline here he said i say these things because it is our lord's only command and if we do only this then that is enough it was his only command do you recognize me i was thinking today even do people recognize me as being a christian or as belonging to jesus because i say i'm a christian because i have skinny jeans you know the new church thing you know and i wear a fedora (laughs) oh dear (laughs) or do they recognize me because of my love and how I demonstrate that love to others that has got to be the thing that people recognize us by our love for one another a new command I give you Jesus said not an old A new command I give you. We don't live by the Old Testament. This is not Mosaic law. This is New Testament Christianity. This is new covenant. This is new promise. Jesus says, I have a new way of living. I have a new life on offer. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to rise again and I'm fulfilling the law and I've got something entirely new for you. Remember the old command? In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in, in saying this is a new command, Jesus changes two things in the, in the wording of this command. He says, love one another. The old, the old command said, love your neighbor. Jesus says, love one another. He changes the object, the recipient of the love. Now, this was interesting because um, there was, I think it's around Luke chapter 10, where there is a a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus, and he tries to entrap Jesus. Um, He is trying to, to get something on him. And Jesus is a young man. He's only 32 years old, something like that. Teacher of the law is much older. They're trying to get some dirt on Jesus so that they can you know, basically get him out of the way because he's got so much popularity and all this type of thing. And so he comes to him and he says, hey, great teacher, uh, what are the two best commands or greatest commands in in the Old Testament or in the Mosaic law, should I say? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. He replies to the question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and whatever. And then second, he says, love your neighbor as yourself and then and then i think luke records that the teacher of the law tries to justify himself by saying so who is my neighbor and this is where jesus offers the amazing parable the good samaritan basically your neighbor is your enemy that's who your neighbor is because what happened in those times is that the pharisees the sadducees the teachers of the law they would justify who their neighbor was and who their neighbor wasn't. It was very convenient for them to do that. It's like, oh, Joe's my neighbor because I live with Joe, but Mark's not my neighbor because I don't live with Mark or I don't live next to Mark, you know, kind of thing. So you could play with that. You could justify who was your neighbor and who wasn't your neighbor. And so Jesus redefines who we are to demonstrate our love to in this scripture. He says, not your neighbor. He says, love one another. He begins with his disciples. He starts with them. He says, guys, if this doesn't work, Christianity will not work. The only way I can describe it is maybe if you look at a marriage or a relationship and you see bitterness, unforgiveness, envy, jealousy, all of that kind of yucky stuff in a marriage, if there's breakdown, if it just doesn't seem to be working, it's heart-wrenching isn't it it's it's an awful situation you don't want to be part of something like that and the same is true with the church the church is a community of people who do life together if there is backbiting if there is gossip if there is judgment if there is slander if there is if there is envy jealousy um, hatred if there is unforgiveness in this community then who in their right mind would want to be a part of it, right? This is why Jesus says, you need to start with you guys. This is about priorities with Jesus. Why doesn't he say love the lost first? Because he's like, we need to get this thing right. Love one another. And when you do this, man, I'm telling you that the world will take note because that i'm telling you is a miracle in itself he says love one another as i have loved you he changes the object of the command and he changes the measure of the command the old testament um, uh, command love your neighbor as you love yourself what if you don't love yourself again very justifiable If I don't love myself, then does that give me the right to treat others badly? Does that give me the right to not forgive if I don't forgive myself? Does that give me the right to disrespect others if I disrespect myself? What if I don't love myself? Remember, the law hangs on our ability and our merit and our strength to fulfill it. Christianity is entirely different. It operates on a separate foundation. Christianity points to Jesus and says, I can't do this, but you can. You've done it and you can do it through me. Jesus in this command is not is not pointing the finger back to us and saying, love according to your own love, love according to your own capacity, love according to your own merit and strength and ability. He says, no, love as I have loved you. He points to himself and he says, the only way this can work is if you look to me. You'll never make it on your own. Christianity is impossible. Isn't that encouraging word tonight? (laughs) It's absolutely impossible. You will never live up to the demands of the Christian faith. You will never do it in your own strength. It's absolutely impossible. In fact, grace pulls us higher than the law. It does. Remember what Jesus said. He said, the law says this, don't commit adultery, but I say if you lust in your heart, you've already done it. He said... Oh, the law says don't commit murder. But if you hate, then you've already done it. The law says tithe. But Jesus says to the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have. Follow me and then you will be perfect. Grace demands a higher standard. It pulls us up. It is absolutely impossible for you to live as a Christian in your own strength, merit, and ability. You cannot do it. This is is why we need the power of god in our lives the holy spirit was sent by the father jesus said to his disciples when he was leaving them don't do anything until my holy spirit has been sent from my father until you receive power from on high you will not be able to Live according to this Christian faith in your own ability. He says, don't go anywhere. Wait until you receive power. I have this iPad and I get so frustrated about the battery. I mean, does anybody else get frustrated about the battery? I mean, my iPhone, I think I charge it five times a day just to keep it, you know, going. Get my charger, plug it into the socket, get some juice in it, charge it up so I can, you know, use it so I can actually do something decent with it. I don't mean to cheapen the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is that charger for the Christian life. He powers the Christian life. He charges it. He equips it. We cannot do it without Him. He regenerates. He transforms. He empowers the Christian life. We can't do it without Him. So we look to Jesus. How do we live according to this command? New command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And in this way, all men will recognize that you are my disciples. It's impossible, Jesus. It's impossible. How, 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 how? How do I forgive? How do I release bitterness from my life? How do I not envy? How do I not how? He says, look, look to me. He says, firstly, love according in the same way that I have loved you. Look to my love. When you consider that you have been forgiven, it helps you in turn to forgive. When I really think about it, I realize that I'm no more than Judas in that scene. And I can't help but put myself in Judas's shoes, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him for only a thousand pounds that very night. Judas knew that he was going to betray Jesus that very night. And I wonder if they locked eyes. I wonder if, if Judas could not even bear to look at Jesus as this miracle man this amazing person gets down on his knees and washes his feet can you imagine what that would have felt like the shame the guilt of knowing that you were going to betray this man and I know that I'm no better than Judas I have offended God in my own ways i have wronged him in more ways than one and i do not deserve the forgiveness of god but he loves me and he loves you so much his love is so grand so expansive, so vast so high so wide so deep we don't deserve it but he has it on offer for you today he has it On offer for me and when i realize how great my forgiveness really is it really helps me to forgive other people we look to jesus and secondly like i said we can ask the holy spirit to help us in this life i remember when i was 17 years old and um i was sort of on a journey with faith but I was more positive with God at that point in my life. And I was on holiday, I was on a beach, I was at a bonfire, and there was this kid at this bonfire, and he was sitting around talking to a couple of my friends, and honestly, like he looked homeless, he was gothic, dressed, and everything about him just irked me. Um he was very outspoken about his sexuality, he was gay. And he, um, he was talking about how the church uh, couldn't accept him and judged him. And he was just full of anger. And I remember in my heart looking down at him and thinking, oh, it was one of the clearest moments in my life that I've heard God speak to me. I heard it in here. It was just loud. I heard these words. I know it was God, the Holy Spirit. He spoke to me, cut through me like a rod. Just said, love him. Those words penetrated me. And honestly, I was filled with God's love for him. There's another story that I want to share with you. Um, it's a lady called Corey Temboom. She's very famous. And um, if you've been on the Alpha course, then you would have heard her story. And basically, she was a watchmaker in in the Netherlands during the Second World War. She was quite young, a young girl. Her father was a watchmaker, key watchmaker. And um, basically, during the Second World War, when they were under occupied um, Nazi Germany, they were hiding Jews from the Nazis, and like a Schindler, you know, kind of thing. And they were basically trying to help. Um, the Jews get out and uh, into England and wherever else. And basically they got caught and they got taken to a concentration camp. And um, I believe that her, her sister died and her father died at the concentration camp. She managed to get out um, and made it through the war, somehow survived. And she, she was a Christian lady. And so after the war, she talked about forgiveness and how important forgiveness was. And there's this one particular story where she is standing on a platform and she's preaching and after she gets off and this man walks towards her. And she recognizes who the man is walking towards her. He was a guard at the concentration camp where she was held captive. And she says that coldness filled her heart, her whole being and hatred for the man that walked towards her. He came up to her, he didn't recognize her. And he said, I know I've done some terrible things in my life, but I also have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for a lot of things. I heard your story, and I know that you were at this such and such concentration camp. And I'm wondering, or rather, I'm seeking forgiveness from someone who I caused so much pain to. In Corrie Ten Boom, she puts it like this. In that moment, I could not forgive that man. I couldn't forgive him. I was filled with so much hatred towards that man. I saw my sister suffer under his brutality and cruelty, and I hated him. I hated him. I hated him. And then I asked God, help me. And she says that she looked inwardly and considered her own forgiveness. And when she considered her own forgiveness, she says it was like warmth came over her whole body and the love of God filled her. And she took his hand, kissed his hand, and was able to forgive that man. She says famously, I could not forgive that man. God could and God forgave him through me I was able to forgive him through the power of God you have not touched the ocean of God's love she says until you have forgiven your enemies and this is the kind of love that God is calling us to today A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will recognize that you, you belong to me. You're one of mine. Love is the greatest advertising campaign for the Christian faith.